0: This is Morning Edition Extra. I'm Jill Kaufman, and these were some of the voices in the news this week. Our
1: request for a preliminary injunction was about keeping the plant's workers employed, the plant running safely, and the electric grid reliable until this case is resolved. In the upcoming days, we will be evaluating Judge Murphy's opinion and assessing the company's near-term options.
2: It's clear that there was no secretive wiretapping, that everything was done in plain sight. The resisting was stated by Captain Schindler yesterday that he didn't fear any bodily harm. He was never in worry of his life and there was no uh, harm caused to him or anybody to his knowledge. So the resisting arrest is bogus as well.
0: There's no shade. He lost all his trees. It's increasing the heat tremendously inside the house. That was Julie Manning talking about her 85-year-old father's Springfield home and how he's faring during this heat wave. Also, Peter Iyer, one of two men acquitted of wiretapping and other charges by a Greenfield, Massachusetts jury. They're members of a group called Cop Block, which says it aims to discourage police misconduct by videotaping law enforcement activities. And you heard Energy spokesman Larry Smith. Earlier this week, federal judge Garvin Murtha rejected Energy's request for an injunction that would allow the Vermont Yankee nuclear power plant to operate. past next March without state permission, the decision sets the stage for a trial in September that could decide the plant's ultimate fate. In Springfield, Massachusetts, the Swans are a well-known family of political, religious and community activists. Reverend Talbert Swan II was recently elected the president of the NAACP Springfield branch, which had been closed for several years. Talbert says its reestablishment came greatly at the hands of the city's Black Leadership Alliance, a group of CEOs, nonprofit execs, and city department heads. And he told me that while the needs of African Americans living in the 20th century were very different than they are now, the 102-year-old organization best known for its civil rights activism is still needed.
1: The, the needs back then when it was originally constituted in Springfield had to do with basic human rights, uh, the right to be treated like a human being, to be able to sit down. Um, at integrated lunch counters and and be able to check into hotels, although that wasn't um, uh, the prevalent practice in the north. Uh, Many of those uh, types of issues were still of concern. Today, we have problems that need to be addressed by organizations like the NAACP, such as the educational system in our city. When we have an educational school system that is predominantly African American and Latino, and the dropout rate is well above 50%, then there's a direct link with the lack of education and the crime rate and the poverty rate. Uh, so that needs to be addressed. The, the health disparities between the majority community and communities of color need to be addressed. Um, uh, persons of color Um, have higher mortality rates, they have higher rates of diabetes and hypertension and cancer and many other diseases, and and many of uh, the causes for this has to do with environmental racism, has to do with the uh, lack of access to fresh uh, foods and vegetables, lack of access to medical care, and then there there still are social justice issues that exist um, within the criminal justice system and all other systems in Country and in our city, so the NAACP is still viable in 2011.
0: And, and many of those issues are also being addressed by other organizations. So, do you become a part of the conversation and a part of the policymakers, and in, in some respect, in terms of uh, the research, perhaps, and the, the energy, um, or, or is the NAACP able to lead stronger than other organizations have been doing thus far in Springfield on, on some of these matters? I think the NAACP is poised to be the leader uh,
1: when it comes to dealing uh, with these issues that affect communities of color. Of course, we will work with other entities that are um, that are working on these issues, uh, and where they have already shown strong leadership, then we will partner with them and follow their lead. Uh, but I think there are many issues that that we we need to address that have no real person or entity that's out in the forefront leading the charge for change.
0: Back in 2000, between 2003, 2005, there were a lot of discussions across the country, not only in Massachusetts, about civil rights uh, as compared to um, gay rights and same-sex marriage. And I know that you and others, Coretta Scott King, um, uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson, wrote about this in different in different areas, uh, saying that gay rights and, and civil rights for African Americans are, are not necessarily the same and shouldn't be discussed in the same pot. I just wonder how how do you handle that?
1: Well, I don't I don't believe that any young person or or older person for that matter uh should be harassed, bullied, mistreated or discriminated against on the basis uh of their sexual orientation any more than I believe they should be on the basis of of their race or ethnicity. Um so as far as that goes, Uh, we definitely will be advocates that everyone is treated fairly. Um, However, uh, I still hold the personal opinion um, that the struggle for gay rights or for gay marriage or or whatever other rights uh, that that, um, homosexuals feel that they have not been afforded uh, should not um, um, be spoken in the same breath as the fight for human rights and civil rights for, of African Americans in this country, um, and I understand the, I understand the the rationale for for trying to make that comparison, um, but I still don't think it's a valid comparison. So um, the branch has a position that everyone uh, should be treated fairly and not discriminated against. So I have a problem with that because that's always been my stance. Uh, my my problem. Uh, has been the comparison um of of the civil rights movement and the struggles of african americans um for uh justice and equality in this country uh with various other movements and not just not just the the uh movement for for gay rights there have been others that i think have tried to hijack uh, the civil rights legacy. I mean, we had for crying out loud, Glenn Beck trying to hijack the civil rights legacy, and and we had. And, Paris
0: and, or, I'm sorry, Glenn Beck's was take was it uh, the Republicans are are um, struggling with issues or what was his? Um,
1: so I actually he, don't know. <laughs> he he basically was saying that um, that Dr. King and he were on the same page, and so when they went to Washington, I I really don't know what they were crying about in Washington other than. Uh, they don't want Obama in the White House, but <laughs> but but they claim to be uh, the the holders of the torch of the civil rights movement. Because I, I don't think it's a valid comparison.
0: I see. All right. If you had to say there is a number one issue that the NAACP in Springfield is going to address, what what would that be?
1: I think I think we need to address the issue of education and its link to violence and poverty.
0: Talbert Swan II is the new president of the Springfield branch of the NAACP. He's also pastor at the Spring Hope Church of God in Christ in Springfield. This is Morning Edition Extra. I'm Jill Kaufman. The metro Springfield area was recognized this week for its robust participation in the so-called green economy. A Brookings Institution study showed that 3.5 percent of all jobs in the area provide an environmental benefit from solar panel manufacturers to park rangers. Three and a half percent might not sound like much, but it places the region a surprising sixth out of the top 100 metro areas nationwide. And the Springfield area was the only one from New England to make the top 10. New England Public Radio's Adam Frenier takes a closer look at the green economy in western Massachusetts
3: drive by Winter Moon farm in hadley massachusetts and you'll see a run-of-the-mill red barn that you could see at almost any farm anywhere until you take a close look at the roof which is covered by a pair of giant solar panels the organic farm's owner michael doctor installed them a few years ago to provide all of the electricity the farm needs to function and when deciding on a refrigeration system for his root crops like beets and carrots, Doctor told a group of visitors this week that the cold weather months presented a green challenge, how to keep them at a steady temperature without gobbling up energy to run a cooling unit.
2: So what we wanted to do was create a storage system that didn't have any refrigeration and just use outside air temperatures, especially at night, to cool the crop.
3: The new system regulates his storage barn's temperature solely through the use of outside air. Doctor financed that and other efficiencies in part through a state program that provides upfront cash in exchange for easements restricting future development of the property. State Secretary of Energy and Environmental Affairs Richard Sullivan says an increasing number of farmers are using the Agricultural Preservation Restriction Program, known as APR to keep their farms economically and environmentally sustainable. Purchasing an APR or conservation restriction uh, can allow a, a farm to continue in business and do great things. We've we've seen uh, here at the farm we're at and, and we were over just at the Red Fire Farm where when they got uh, credits for that they were able to reinvest into energy efficiencies, which just further helps uh, the farming be much more sustainable. Sullivan's agency provides numerous such taxpayer-financed incentives to foster the growth of energy efficiency solar power and other eco-friendly technologies. But while these elements of the 21st century sustainability movement get a lot of attention, the Brookings report says the real engine of this area's green economy is the public sector. Conservation agency workers, regulators, mass transit staff, they account for 60% of the 10,000 green jobs in the Springfield area identified by the report. Co-author Jonathan Rothwell says, That actually puts Western Massachusetts a bit behind the times. In terms of the newest,
2: fastest-growing clean tech segments, The Springfield metropolitan area is is lagging uh, areas like Boston and many other places around the country. The
3: Brookings study found that green economy jobs in the Springfield area have increased more than 5% since 2003, and Governor Deval Patrick has made a big push for boosting the green economy in the Bay State and creating a workforce to match. With state help, Greenfield Community College, for instance, is pioneering a program that trains students to work in the field of energy efficiency and renewable energy. Program coordinator Teresa Jones says she believes that more growth lies ahead, particularly as institutions and municipalities become more involved in sustainability.
2: So that means they need sustainability directors. They need facility managers who can do that. They need purchasing people who understand it and physical plant folks who understand it. Green communities need people to understand how that works and then to administer them. So there's a lot of places where you might not be swinging a hammer up on a roof, but there's going to be growth in the green economy. There
3: are green jobs available now, she adds, but sometimes her students have to create their own opportunities.
2: People are finding jobs, and they're having to work hard at it. I mean, some really having to work hard. A a number of them have gone out and started their own companies, which is terrific and very typical of this area, going out and start a small company and grow it from the ground up. Uh, People have done internships that have parlayed into jobs. But really, a lot of people have been able to find jobs locally.
3: It could be well worth it. The Brookings Report finds that green sector jobs pay $3,000 a year more than the average for all jobs in the Springfield area. For New England Public Radio... I'm Adam Frenier.
0: Now on to a not-so-green topic. Drivers have watched gasoline prices gyrate up and down and up this summer. And some politicians like Vermont Congressman Bernard Sanders are calling for a crackdown on speculation in oil commodities. But commentator Michael Lynch says the day traders really have little lasting influence on the prices we pay at the pump.
2: Vermont Socialist Senator Bernie Sanders and even some capitalists say speculators are distorting the price of oil and they are calling for regulatory intervention. Fundamentals, they say, do not justify prices of $100 a barrel or more. To them, and many others, the problem is the presence of speculators gambling on commodities, using borrowed money and high-tech trading instruments to magnify their impact, to the detriment of the economy in general. Sadly, this reveals more about their ignorance of the workings of the market and their desire to blame someone than about the role speculators actually play in our economy. The first and most pertinent point is that those so-called speculators we see frantically calling out buy-and-sell orders on the floor of the exchange have no interest in long-term commodity price levels. They are often in and out of the market many times a day, and even if the price settles within a fairly narrow range for a day, week, or month, they can still make hefty profits. Instead, it's those who would be considered benign investors who are more likely to drive prices up or down long enough to affect the economy. Oil producers or fuel buyers hedging their long-term production or consumption, or groups like mutual funds, which consider commodities to be a good investment over time, will move prices in a specific direction. But what then justifies the 50 bucks we're suddenly paying at the pump to fill our tanks? John Maynard Keynes, after losing a fortune, realized that it was not economic fundamentals that determined prices, but traders' perceptions of where those fundamentals are headed. If the economy is weak but they anticipate a boom, stock prices will rise. And if there are fears of greater oil supply disruptions in the Middle East, oil prices will rise high above what on-the-ground supply and demand data would seem to support. The second point is that speculators are revealing prices, not directing them. No one player in the financial market is big enough to move this vast marketplace. The huge number of buyers and sellers makes it difficult for anything other than their general expectations to change prices, and those expectations are what set the price. If these speculators thought the price was too high, they would be inclined to sell. That they are not doing so at present tells us what the aggregate perception of the appropriate price level is. And however much bubbles might be undesirable, they are neither new nor created by lemming-like traders huddled on Wall Street. The recent real estate and dot-com bubbles involve buyers and sellers all across the country. And the most famous of all bubbles, the Dutch tulip bubble of the 17th century, certainly did not involve sophisticated financial instruments or computer-aided tulip trading programs. The problem with irrational exuberance is that it's a part of human nature which cannot seem to be legislated away.
0: Commentator Michael Lynch is president of Strategic Energy and Economic Research in Amherst, Massachusetts. Hear that? That's the sound of summer. Well, it's one sound of summer. Here are some others. Sorry.
2: Small hot fudge.
1: Can I get a strawberry milkshake?
2: Yep. What size? Oh, yeah. This small and large.
1: Large.
0: Large. Summer is the sound of crickets and cicadas, of motorcycles at night on a dark road. It's the rhythmic spray of a sprinkler, ice clinking in a drink. It's the sound of relief walking into the cool air of the mall. And maybe it's not so obvious. We want to know what summer sounds like to you. So with your smartphone, your MP3 player, your dictaphone, capture your bit of the season and then send it on over to us. We'll take MP3s by email You can send your audio of a minute or less to mex at wfcr.org. That's M-E-X at wfcr.org. If you have questions, send them there, too. And if you can't record anything but want to write up your sounds of summer, we'd love to see them. We'll share your summer sounds on Morning Edition over the next few steamy weeks and maybe during the dead of winter when it's 20 degrees and we can barely remember this heat wave. This is Morning Edition Extra. I'm Jill Kaufman. Have a good weekend and stay cool.